All right, uh, sh should I should I lay down this sweet intro that I've written? These keep getting longer down. and longer every time too. Uh, I just get really into writing them. Oops, <laughs> sorry about that. Yanked it out of my ear. <coughs> it wasn't as dirty as it sounds. <laughs> Saddle. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Shameless Picture Show podcast. I'm Michael Byers, and with me, chipper as ever, is Butch Patrick. Butch no, Patrick. Nick Richards. <laughs> uh, also with us uh, is my wife Amanda. I didn't write that into the intro because uh, I didn't know she was going to be joining us when I wrote it. But Amanda, hi. say hi. <laughs> All right. And today we're talking about yes, Twin Peaks. I'm sure a few of you asking yourselves, wait, what about Buffy? Well, we had a few issues with that. You want to explain what happened, Nick? Uh, sure. Um, first, I think we need to just all agree at this point that at the end of any given episode, when we say what's coming next, there is probably a 30% chance that that will actually be the next episode. And that's just something that we all need to embrace. <laughs> Maybe we'll, at some point someone will actually put these in some sort of order. Where we actually, like, when we say the next episode, they're going to, like, listen to the next episode. But we've also <laughs> been, like, pitching Buffy for, like, every episode. I mean, maybe if you guys planned ahead and made sure you had access to the <laughs> items yeah. ahead of time might make it a little easier. I had it! I know, but just saying. <laughs> so, somebody didn't. <laughs> I'm not going to name any names. It's me. I didn't have but... it. <laughs> Yeah, it was really awkward. She didn't have a copy of it, and we lived together. And I was like, hey, I have my copy. Well, that's your copy. And then that, you know. Where would it end if she's watching your copy of Buffy? It's a slippery slope into something. So, as as Michael said in the, uh, the most recent solo episode, um, oh, my sister's calling. Do you want to take I it? Will, no, I'll ignore it. <laughs> but I'll, I'll say hi to her as a shout-out. Jen, I will take your call later. Um, so, as you can see, my, uh, my life is busy and interrupted all the time, including by children. Um, I, by the time we were supposed to record the last episode, I had gotten um, about three-quarters of the way through the first um, two-part pilot of the TV show and hadn't touched the movie. So Michael's like, all right, I'll shoot a solo, and then, all right, we're going to record it today. And it was your and idea to record it today. I was so excited. I've been able to find every movie that I didn't have on either YouTube, Hulu, Amazon Prime, or rent it through something for a couple bucks online. And it's not like I can go down to the local Blockbuster family video anymore and rent it. Like, you if don't it's have not a family online, video? I d we are on the eastern shore of Maryland. Unless it's like oysters, ducks, or corn, we don't have it. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Um, but uh, so yeah, that's what happened. So, we weren't. We didn't. Nick didn't plan ahead. I did. I watched it all like two weeks ago. Uh, not only that, but I I found out that you know uh, that 
uh, Hulu has the original like television versions of Buffy, and Netflix has the weird like widescreen where they just pushed in and it cuts off people's heads. It's kind of strange. <laughs> um, but anyways, uh, because we're not be able to talk about our favorite vampire slayer, we thought we'd pour some coffee, grab a donut, and talk a little bit about our favorite mysterious town, and of course, our favorite special agent. Twin Peaks is a surrealist drama television series created by David Lynch and Mark Frost, and it had its debut on ABC back in 1990. The show centers around one basic question, who killed Laura Palmer? Laura Palmer, played by Cheryl Lee, is the homecoming queen, an all-around popular girl, and is found dead one faithful morning. The lives of everyone in Twin Peaks is turned topsy-turvy with the news of Laura's death, as we found out she played a small part in everyone's lives. The idyllic town is no longer safe, and when FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper, played by Kyle McLaughlin, comes to town to investigate, he starts to dig under the surface of Twin Peaks to expose the rotten core that lies behind those white picket fences. The show is best known for mixing over-the-top melodrama, absurdist comedy, horror, and surrealist imagery to create a show unlike anything anyone had seen before. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. Good Lord, Laura. Was it seduction, or illusion, deception, or murder? Nothing is what it seems. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. In a town like Twin Peaks, now available for the first time in a special edition DVD collection of the first season, starring Kyle MacLachlan, Michael Ontkeen, Lara Flynn Boyle, Sherilyn Fenn, and Joan Chen. Twin Peaks is different. Something very, very strange in these old woods. A secret society. Twin Peaks, the first season. Sorry, Andy. The cult phenomenon with reveal packaging containing a four-disc set. This must be where pies go when they die. Featuring newly remastered full-screen version and TTS and 5.1 Dolby Digital Surround Sound. I have seen some slipshod backwater birds, but this place takes the cake. Plus director's audio commentaries. When you pick a place and you feel the mood, a lot of things start coming out of that. On-camera interviews with the cast. Don't ruin that. And much more. No one is innocent in a town like Twin Peaks. The first season special edition DVD. Own it today. I flubbed up a little bit reading my own intro. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's uh, Twin Peaks. And um, this is on your shame list, correct, Nick? It is, yes. Because me and Amanda just finished watching all of it, including Fire Walk With Me which I recommend only after you've seen the entire show or you're going to be fucking lost. I, I've seen the entire show and I was still lost. I, I was going to say, is there like any way of watching this without being totally lost? Uh, no. Not really. Which See, is part of what I have loved about it so far. I do too. Like, it's... Uh, I don't like. It's hard to really find a good jumping off point to talk about this because Twin Peaks just <laughs> there's so much to unpack. And even even though we're just talking about the pilot, which is like an hour and a half long, maybe even two uh, hours. One like, hour. I think it was just one hour. Really? Because I could have sworn five. I could have sworn the pilot was like a feature length film. I don't think so. Unless it was like a two parter or something, and I didn't watch the second part. But it seems like from what I remember, they're, the end of each episode kind of just gives you a, 
mystery hook into the next episode, so I don't think the first two were supposed to be packaged together by any means. Hmm. Well, anyways, I, I could have sworn it was longer, because I remember having to sit Amanda down and be like, this is going to take a little while. <laughs> but um, let's, 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 go with your, let's go with your thoughts on, uh, okay. on Twin Peaks and everything that is involved with Twin Peaks. You know, there's certainly a... Uh, Twin Peaks has a reputation for being very strange and, and convoluted and whatnot. Um, and based on that, I assumed that it would be right up my alley. Uh, upon watching the pilot, and a few weeks ago I had ventured into a couple more episodes, but rewatched the first one and actually paid close attention, um, I can verify that, yes, this is right up my alley. It's the perfect amount of weird and obscure uh, hidden subtext clues that you're picking up on little things that all right well, what does that mean does it mean anything it might mean something really important and it might be a red herring and it might not even be a red herring even though it seems really important um and i love that kind of stuff i also think it's really great because the show manages to be extremely pretentious but not pretentious at all <laughs> and I, I, I imagine that's because of the 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 uh, the equal parts of it being David Lynch and, and Mark Frost. Because there's sometimes it's like the show just, uh, especially the the when you get deeper deeper into it, it just wears this pretension on its sleeve. But then there's sometimes where it just feels so like it feels so much like a soap opera that you're like, how can this even be pretentious? Because it's it's playing into something so goofy and so weird. <laughs> Uh, my very first note on this is soap opera. <laughs> Between the music, the overacting, uh, the way that they structure their narrative, uh, the the unnecessary drama that's infused into these people's lives, it just screams soap opera. <laughs> no, it does, and it's it's like a dark, it's like uh, a, a dark twisted soap opera, and that's that's what it is. And like uh, one of my one of my notes, and we'll talk. We can talk about this a little more too. Is and I I constantly tell Amanda. Uh, I, I mention this to Amanda all the time whenever we're watching a movie that just has over the top acting. Uh, is it the is it the best actors or the worst actors? It rides <laughs> this really fine line of not knowing if the acting is incredible or terrible. <laughs> I'm yeah, leaning towards good. Like. I, that's 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 where I finally settled on is that the acting is actually incredible and it's everything done in the show is a choice, but it, when you first watch it, like we're gonna be jump around a little bit, like when Sarah Palmer first you know finds out about her daughter's death, it to, now it like it's fucking it gets to me and it's heartbreaking. But the first time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? What is this reaction? <laughs> so over the top, and you know, certainly you could argue acting ability but i think you hit the nail on the head that is definitely a choice every single one of these uh very intense acting moments where they sit on the the camera sits on these people for a very long time as they process this one emotion way over the top they could cut away from it at any minute but they don't um i think it's definitely a choice no i completely agree um since like this, like I said, there's so much to unpack, and uh, while I've seen the entire show and you're still working through it, I've got to be careful of spoilers. Because <laughs> I did not rewatch the uh, the pilot because originally we didn't realize we were doing this episode, <laughs> but uh, I've seen the pilot a couple times, and I'm pretty, I feel like I'm 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 well enough versed in it that I I can talk about it. Um, 
Where should we? Uh, where should? Where should we start this conversation? Do you want to talk about characters? Do you want to talk about setting, or just you know the themes uh, of Twin Peaks? I I think I'd like to talk about one character in particular because, as much as there is to digest in the show, what really sold me on the first episode, what stood out um, amongst everything else, was Kyle McLaughlin. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's McLaughlin. Uh, he's also, he also played, uh, what, what was it, the captain in How the I Met captain. Your Mother? yep. <laughs> ahoy. Ahoy, ahoy. <laughs> um, no, he's great because um, uh, I don't know how well-versed you are in David Lynch's uh, work, and while I'm still new to it myself, I'd, I'd actually, I've seen Blue Velvet, I've seen a couple other ones, but it was Twin Peaks that really made me want to go back and rewatch it. Um, I, I was reading earlier about just, you know, everything to do with uh, Twin Peaks, and someone put it very, I think it was the AV Club, said it very nicely that uh, Kyle McLaughlin, and specifically the character of Agent Dale Cooper, is the traditional David Lynch hero of this all-American boy who gets himself involved in this weirdness, who never loses his the, the, star, the spark in his eye. He is always optimistic, even when he really has no reason to be. And he, even if the show sucked, there's something about that character you just fall in love with. Yeah, like and I, without that, he's the anchor that keeps you going. He's he provides a lens into all of the weirdness that is Twin Peeps that gives the audience that outside perspective. He's the the translator, if you will, and and even though he is weird and wonderful in his own Lynchian way, um, he he's kind of the prism that we see all of this through. Yeah, and as weird as his character is, he's the most grounded. <laughs> yeah. um, like he, 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 every other character has like the these these uh, um, all these. I'm trying to think of the right right way to put it, without also like spoiling things. Every character has like this weird darkness to it, and even though later on, you when you eventually throughout the show learn more about Dale and realize he's not perfect, he never feels like. He's as dark as everyone else. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. So actually, maybe the better way to put it is what, any time that all the other characters feel like they're part of a soap opera, he never felt like a soap opera character. You know, he didn't have all this, ex all these extreme things going on to him. He was, he was the... The anchor is the only word I can think of. Well, like, even yeah. though he, like, immerses himself in Twin Peaks, he doesn't fully, like, he never completely fits in. He wants to fit in, but yeah, you're right, he never does. Like, he always stands out, like, even when he relates to people and gets really in and thinks that he's going to stay there, like, it just doesn't fit. No, like, it, the, way I, the way I view it, the fact that he's so enamored by those Douglas firs and everyone else is like, <laughs> yeah, it's just a fucking tree. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th, entering the town of Twin Peaks. It's five miles south of the Canadian border, 12 miles west of the state line. I've never seen so many trees in my life. As W.C. Fields would say, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. 54 degrees on a slightly overcast day, weatherman said rain. You can get paid that kind of money for being wrong 60% of the time and be working. Mileage is 79,345, gauge is on reserve, riding on fumes here. I gotta tank up when I get into town. Remind me to tell you how much that is. Lunch was uh, $6.31 at the 
Lamplighter Inn. That's on Highway 2 near Lewis Fork. That was a tuna fish sandwich on whole wheat, slice of cherry pie, and a cup of coffee. Damn good food. Diane, if you ever get up this way, that cherry pie is worth a stop. Okay. Looks like I'll be meeting up with the uh, Sheriff Harry S. Truman. Shouldn't be too hard to remember that. He'll be at the Calhoun Memorial Hospital. I guess we're going to go up to intensive care and take a look at that girl that crawled down the railroad tracks off the mountain. When I'm finished here, I'll be checking into a motel. I'm sure the sheriff will be able to recommend a clean place, reasonably priced. That's what I need. A clean place, reasonably priced. Oh, Diane, I almost forgot. Got to find out what kind of trees these are. They're really something. But even when they're in the middle of this murder investigation and, and digging through all of the darkness, he'll just, like, just reflect on it strongly. With, without any seeming trigger other than him smelling it again. And yeah, it's, it adds a, an incredible lightness to what would otherwise be. It, it, it's like the little bit of citrus in a very heavy meal. No, it's true. It's like, well, any other writer or show creator could have easily gone, because in some ways this show is a, in some ways a police procedural you know, they could have made the hard-nosed cop with a with a rough past who's, you know, an alcoholic. And <laughs> Dale Cooper isn't that person. Like, his, his vice is Five a good... Five days away from retirement with something to prove. <laughs> like, his vice is a strong cup of coffee. Nothing too special. Just, you know, he likes his he likes generic black coffee. Uh, something sweet and Tibetan literature. <laughs> and I imagine the worst kind of coffee because it's from oh, yeah. those really crappy diners. He loves, like, the crappy <laughs> diner coffee. So, like... Like he's a he's a man of simple tastes, <laughs> and and that is perfection to him. I think that character would make a really interesting foil against um, like Fox Mulder. How they're they're both this a similar FBI agent who who's, has to deal with very dark things in their career, but uh, Fox is very dark. Are you familiar with an agent named Fox Mulder? Yes, I am. How so? By reputation. Um, he's an Oxford-educated psychologist who wrote a monograph on serial killers and the occult that helped catch Monty Props in 1988. Generally thought of as the best analyst in the violent crime section. He had a nickname at the Academy. Spooky Mulder. Uh, he, he lets that darkness be a part of him, whereas... Uh, uh, was it Dale? Dale Cooper. A Special agent, Cooper. agent Dale Cooper. He, he <laughs> seems to be the opposite of that, where he's he's elevated above it all and completely disconnected from it. No, I completely agree. And like I said, you know, I I um I feel like just the weirdness of this show would have kept me going, but I I I don't know if I would have loved it as much if it wasn't for Dale Cooper because throughout everything, he's the one you root for, and throughout the series, the span of the show, you start gravitating towards other characters, some you really like, some you really don't like, but there's never a point where your interest in Dale Cooper goes away. Well, yeah. and like with what Nick was saying earlier, if without Cooper, the other people might not even seem so weird. Yeah. Right. And uh, to kind of piggyback off the thing about characters, is one thing I really like about the show, and the, that the pilot does very well, because there's so many characters in this show. <laughs> and they're all pretty well defined, and I feel like one one reason why that is is because every character, in one way or another, has a defining trait. Like even if you don't remember a character's name, you can remember something weird about them, 
like uh, um, like Dr. Jacoby and his weird like red and blue glasses, or in fact, he's obsessed with Hawaii, or um, um, hold on, I got the, I got the character names po- uh, in front of me because I'm I'm bad of with names, or like. Um, well, and something I noticed in the pilot is there are a lot of uh, archetypes. You know, you have the high school bully and the high school jock and the abusive husband yep. and the the local good guy cop and like, it, and it it seems to be intention. It wasn't because of lazy writing. It was they seem like intentionally chosen archetypes that are exaggerated for the sake of crafting this strange town yeah because like once once you start getting to know a character you realize they're not as one-dimensional as you think like the character i was going to mention was, was lucy who's the uh, receptionist you know <laughs> she she's kind of ditzy she's got that high-pitched voice she's she almost painstakingly goes through every detail whatever oh the hell God. she's doing uh but then as the show goes on you realize she has depth or my, one of my favorite characters is uh is deputy andy the the cop who the, the the crying photographer yes who who cries whenever he has to take the pictures and he's never fired a gun um, he's just he's such just an innocent beautiful soul it could only exist in a small town because in any other town where they need that cop to be doing their job he would have been fired long ago for oh, never yeah. being able to do his job but oh Andy that's just Andy and then like this character doesn't really have a whole lot of like interesting traits it's more so his name is uh sheriff harry s truman because like if any if anything like truman is just such a a everyman character like he's seriously just there to be like the straight man during everything and to, well, and to punch people that's really all he does throughout the entire show is he, he's a straight man and he punches people i think there's something to the the way that the characters were named to uh truman true man um, oh shit! The, the the secretary's last name is uh, I'm not sure on the pronunciation, but uh, probably Moran, uh, M O R A N Moran. Um, there, I, I'm pretty sure there's some specificity to the last names that were chosen. Well, now I'm looking at it too, like uh, like Benjamin Audrey Horn, you know Horn the Devil. Yeah. Yeah. Oh shit! You just, you just opened up a whole new can of worms there, Nick. Two watches. <laughs> what about Andy's last name? Uh, what is Andy's last Brennan? name? Brennan. Cries a lot. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> that one. I'm not connecting. Cries a lot. <laughs> it's there. goddammit. it! It's there. Um, no, it's actually. A cr- I I would have never have put that together. Um, but no, the characters are definitely what what keeps me coming back and. Um, is the thing I fell in love with. Like, yeah, the, the, the surrealism is what eventually, like, got its claws into me, but the characters are what kept me going. And, like, even characters that, like, I wasn't too sure what I felt about at first that I really started to like. I, I love the character of Audrey, Audrey Horn, and she's just so hard to get a read on. <laughs> Especially in this opening, in the beginning episode, because she doesn't seem phased by uh, Laura Palmer's death. But and she uses it to manipulate people whom she doesn't even care about. Yeah. Like, I didn't so like her at first, now that we're talking about it. I kind of forgot about that. <laughs> but then the character I, kind of grows on you. I think the characters is what holds your attention long enough to make you appreciate all those other things. It, I agree. 
it's what's going to, it's the bridge that carries you in long enough to be able to go, okay, now I can start to appreciate that other stuff. Without that, I, I would have burned out pretty quick and, okay, I'm sure there's something there, but I don't care to invest enough time to figure it out. No, and that's true. And, like, uh, this is the only thing I'm going to mention about this because it's not really part <laughs> of the topic is uh, that's actually one of the things I kind of felt about um, the movie, the the, the the sequel of uh, the prequel movie that David Lynch did fire walk with me is it's, it felt like all the intense surrealistic parts of twin peaks without the levity. Okay. And it just kind of like beat you over the head with it. But yet <laughs> it's also an integral part of the story. So, but, uh, we're not talking about fire walk with me today <laughs> at least. That'll That's be a, a future episode. Yeah, yeah, you've got you've got a long way to go before you get Season fire. Season two is long. Season two is twenty two fucking episodes. Nice. It's the middle of it gets a little rough. It gets a little rough. <laughs> There's a point where David Lynch kind of like checked out, washed his hands, and he said, "Fuck this." Went off the rails. Yeah, and then they're like, "Can you come back?" And he's like, "Only if you let me do what I want." And he and he fucking did what he wanted. And well, nice. we can't talk about any of that right I'm now. I'm looking forward to that. Oh, it um, gets it gets weird. Yeah. <laughs> Two two little subtle things that uh, not not even subtle. The subtle is probably the exact. There's no subtlety. It, it couldn't couldn't be further away. But uh, I guess seemingly unimportant uh, things that I just wanted to bring up because when I saw it, it made me giggle. One is I'm pretty sure it's the first time they go into the high school and they have the hallway scene and kids are filing into the classrooms and then there's one kid that just kind of like. Dances yeah. with an arm wave across yes. the screen, and and it's like you, they don't draw a lot of attention to it. It's in the back of the frame. I remember but, that now. But seeing it, it's like, did that kid just do what I think he did? That is amazing. <laughs> I forgot about high school. Yeah, these kids are never in high school. Like I think that's the only time you see the high school, isn't it? Yeah, like the opening episode, and maybe once or twice, like when they have conversations with. with Audrey and Donna have a conversation or something, but really, they're not in high school too much. And like the, the principal gives that like that he seems particularly affected by this murder. He like has to quit his announcement about it to the kids early, and he starts like bawling to himself. Like I understand being shaken and upset, but and and maybe there's more to the story that I haven't seen yet. But I have a feeling there's just as good of a chance that there isn't. Um, that he yeah. seemed unnecessarily affected by. Well, she is the homecoming queen, Nick. <laughs> and everyone loved her. Everyone loved Laura. Everyone. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it's uh, it, funny thing is like I, if I ever got a chance to meet David Lynch, I know it would be upsetting because like I could I could ask him about like the weird dancey guy. And he probably wouldn't give me an answer. There's there's a great quote with David Lynch where he's like, I'd like to think that Eraserhead is my most spiritual film. Can you elaborate? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, I imagine half the stuff he does, he just does because he thinks it'd be funny. And then, you know, watching it, you're like, I bet that probably has meaning somewhere. And he's probably like, nope. Just. All, all you have to do is prove that there is meaning behind some very small and seemingly insignificant things and then nerds like me and i'm sure like you guys will wonder if there's significance in everything <laughs> so so you see that it's like is that something what's that mean no and that's kind of what i was doing throughout the show it's like trying to connect dots and some of them 
are never connected because like let's talk about one of my favorite uh, Dale Cooper traits is his constant recordings to the mysterious Diane. Diane, 6.18 a.m., room 315. Great Northern Hotel up here in Twin Peaks. Slept pretty well. Non-smoking room, there's no tobacco smell. That's a nice consideration for the business traveler. A hint of Douglas fir needles in the air. As Sheriff Truman indicated they would, everything this hotel promised, they've delivered. Clean, reasonably priced accommodations. Telephone works, bathroom in really tip-top shape, no drips, plenty of hot water, and good steady pressure. That could be a side benefit of the waterfall outside my window. Mattress fur, but not too firm, and no lumps, like that time I told you about down in El Paso. What a nightmare that was. But of course, you've heard me tell that story once or twice, haven't you, Diane? Haven't tried the television set yet. Looks like cable, probably no reception problems. But the true test of any hotel, as you well know, Diane, is that morning cup of coffee. I'll be getting back to you about within a half hour. Diane, it struck me again earlier this morning. There are two things that continue to trouble me, and I'm speaking now not only as an agent of the Bureau, but also as a human being. What really went on between Marilyn Monroe and the Kennedys? And who really pulled the trigger on JFK? Because it's interesting because on the one hand, it, it, one person could be like, oh, that's just an easy, cheap way to get exposition into a scene. You know, how, how do you explain what's going on? He has, to, he has to talk to Diane about it. And there's also like this weird comedy that comes from his constant like updates to Diane. It's, like, it's almost like a note to myself, but he's right. talking to someone. But then, and why does she need all this information? And then you, you <laughs> never, you like, you never hear about Diane. You, you never hear her voice. I was, I was hoping, um, you know, clearly I don't know, but I, I was hoping that that was something that just they never show or explain anything about Diane. Yeah, and it's like you, you start questioning on this ep open episode. It's like, is Diane real, or is he just did he create a persona? And because like he opens up a lot about himself in those recordings, you find out a lot of weird traits about him, like <laughs> the fact that you know all he needs is you know a, a good bed for a good price and shit like that. <laughs> like you find out all these weird traits about about him because he's talking to uh, Diane. And I think it would be cheap exposition if that's the only thing that came across in it. But all of that infusion of personality takes it from a cheap gimmick into something rich and, and wonderful. And I guess that's a lesson to me as a filmmaker. Like, don't be afraid to use cheap tools as long as you do something really cool and interesting with it. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'd be remiss if we to not mention... Um, one of my favorite things about Twin Peaks is its opening titles. Um, it's beautiful. It, it's it's so fucking dreamy, and you know you just got like it's I, it's probably some of the longest titles I've ever seen on television. You you start with this bird and then these really long shots of like a, of a, a lumber mill of seeing how the saws are made and all crossfades. Yeah, and you got like this great like dream pop music playing in the background and it's and the length of time that they sit on that sign of twin peaks with the with the mountains in the background is great like they're already long shots leading up to it but mm -hmm. it just sits and sits on that title shot um and then it shows you a couple more
more things after that. It doesn't go right into the show, and yeah, it's it is tremendous. Yeah, seven you, different you, kinds you, of tremendous. You've got the waterfall, and you see the Great Northern, and <laughs> it's it kind of lulls you into this, and like. No matter how intense eventually the episodes become, they always have the, the you know the intro and outro are always the same. The intro is always setting up Twin Peaks, and the outro is always the picture of Laura Palmer. Lynch, Frost, and all the directors on the show they they continue that theme throughout, like of just holding on to things for an appropriate amount of time, which is for 1990 was very. It wasn't really done too much because at the time I think TV shows are mostly like you know. Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> well, Buffy the Vampire Slayer came out a little bit later. Was but, late. I'm thinking of the film. Film was 92, wasn't it? Yeah, so, but okay. like, television shows at the time were like Cheers and Roseanne sitcoms. <laughs> right. And, you know, like, you look at, like, for example, the one of the shots that really sticks with me is um, once you find, once the family finds out that Laura has been killed. And that's not a spoiler because it's like in the first two minutes yeah. of the episode. Um, it's in the like. <laughs> it's in the description on Netflix. Who yeah. killed Laura Palmer? Um, Wait a minute. Somebody died in that episode. <laughs> um, and they, when they're just showing all, when they're just, it's uh, it's from below and it's it's shooting up, and at, at at the Palmer household, and you're just watching the ceiling fan for an uncomfortable amount of time, as I, I believe the mom's calling for Laura, and you know she's never going to answer, and it's just. The fact that a television show in in 1990 was able to get away with shooting something as cinematic as this, it's and it I'll, changed I'll, the language of television. I'll expand on that a little bit too. Is not only do they have that shot in the hallway, but uh, back to the high school, they have a shot uh, when the principal is giving this talk about how Laura's not here. A shot of the empty hallway. And then at the end of the episode, when they're talking about how it happened, it probably happened 24 hours ago, they're shooting the, the shot where she was found, that big, like, log on the river, empty. And it seemed to be this kind of uh, uh, ongoing thing of showing these empty places in Twin Peaks where Laura would have been. Yeah, and it's, it's extremely effective. Like, um... Like I said, it, it's it's shooting things with a, with a cinematic language, which, um, and it, you know, it's not even just like you know, like having good having a good looking cinematographer and whatnot. It's 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 having a certain eye for detail and and attention, where like instead of having a character talk about how something is feeling, you just get to watch their face, and then you have cutaways of of objects, and that is supposed to fill you in. And it's it's bold. It's it's an extremely bold <laughs> move for a show like this. And I, I look at te- television shows that are on now, and it's like they all owe something to Twin Peaks. Um, so one other of the uh, just little random things that I really enjoyed was um, when uh, Jacoby is introduced, and he has that tie with the the hula dancer on it, and oh. the hula dancer has a skirt, and the whole Good time. Jacoby. He has his finger under the skirt right the whole time he's talking. He is inappropriately rubbing this hula girl. And is, isn't that like when he was like, uh, when he's trying to like convince uh, Cooper of letting him into the the yeah. autopsy room? It's like yeah. yeah, it's like he just has this creepiness about him and like, and he's so eccentric and every. It's like what is that your doesn't story? Change. No, he's just weird consistently. He's just consistently fucking weird. 
and like those, those sunglasses and like who would want this guy as their doctor his head would probably explode if he ever took those glasses off oh like probably. how weird everything would look oh yeah he probably can't see normal colors anymore <laughs> i'm i'm guessing they don't have a lot of options and Twin Peaks four doctors, and that's the only reason why they have to go through. Well, yeah, they have that big hospital, and the only doctor you ever see is Jacoby, and maybe like some well, unnamed to doctor. To be fair, like in the beginning, if you're looking at the amount of people that they say live in Twin Peaks on the sign, you only meet like a very very small handful, and the town never looks busy. No, right. I want to never... say it was like forty nine thousand. Right, like honestly, 000, it feels like, like it shouldn't be any bigger than the small town we live in. Yeah, and like, <laughs> like where are all these people? You see, like the double R diner and everything, and like there's never more than a handful of people in there. And it's usually the same people, and it's not, and they, they never comment on like how the diner's doing bad. You make you, they, you get the impression the diner's doing fucking well. There's just there's there's never anyone in there. <laughs> Where's everyone eating? They're not at the double R. <laughs> Well, We're once on uh, Cooper gets yeah. into town, they survive just on pie sales alone. Oh, probably. <laughs> and Cooper seems like the type of dude who like who wouldn't go for the free cup of coffee. I feel like he's the type of guy who'd pay for every cup of coffee he drinks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's a true gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into some uh, some of the. Uh, hidden meanings or hidden significance of Ooh, some of these things of, of the pilot okay in the pilot so the the first two or maybe not chronologically but the big two that they focus on in the episode are these two letters right so you have the the letter r that they pull out from laura's fingernail okay um which cooper knew to look for this wasn't the first time that he had seen this signature yeah um and then there's the letter J from her diary, yeah, uh, as re- referencing a person. Um, now again, I've only seen the well. I shouldn't say that. I've seen more than the pilot, but I've only paid close attention to the pilot, and I've seen probably three or four episodes beyond that, half paying attention. So I don't know what the payoff is on any of these things, except that they do track down a character whose first name starts with J, but there's an I have yet to see the conclusion of that. Um, this is hard for me because I've seen the entire show, so like I, <laughs> I have to walk very gently with this and uh, and not to spoil anything. So I want to hear your your thoughts because I could be like, oh, here's what my thoughts are, and right. I, I, accidentally I, could, I, I accidentally spoil or lie. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I guess what it does for me, having only watched this, is... It, it demonstrates that the show is going to put large amount of significance into very, very small bits of information. And uh, I don't remember if we were talking about this before or during, but it because of that, then immediately everything that I see, I start wondering what the significance is of that. Uh, this isn't a spoiler, cause this didn't, uh, but one, one of the, uh, the original intention of the show was to never reveal Laura Palmer's killer. Okay. And I they, wish they had stuck with that. They, I, and so <laughs> it's like they they were they were gonna add all these like these things in that were clues to lead you to eventually like you know to the killer and then you never get that payoff. So that makes you wonder. It's like did they know from the beginning that they they had to have a killer? Did they not know? And then so like you said, you start overanalyzing things and you start wondering. And I feel like to Mark Frost. Excuse me, and David Lynch. Everything does have meaning. That probably weird dancing boy has meaning. 
we'll just never know. And it's right. a, it's a fun show to like to to think about. And like hell, this show is so deep. You could you could have an entire year long uh, theory class just on fucking Twin Peaks. Right. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, two two other elements that stood out to me because of that that you know it, it triggered this viewing experience for me. Um, one was the the flashing lights in while Cooper was looking over Laura's body for the first time. The the fluorescent lights were flickering the entire time and clicking. Yes, yes. I um, forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And and so that whole scene, I'm like, that has to have significance. Now again, with Lynch, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it doesn't. We'll never know. And maybe it does. And there are clues to put that piece of it together, but. Um, that one really stood out, and then uh, the sign at Big Ed's gas farm has a has an egg with like, you know, I'm, I'm guessing some kind of beams around it, um, but it looked to me like an eye, and I wonder if that had any connection to the character or the location of, uh, you know, vision knowledge as, as eyes tend to be hints at some kind of secret knowledge. I, I do have actually have a theory though on the lights thing. Okay. Um, because that's uh, it's something that if it ever is explained, I don't fucking remember. But I think it's just, <laughs> I think it's just supposed to be more of like a a, a theme or like a, a motif or something. Uh, and it kind of plays into what you're talking to about earlier when they whenever they would do shots of like where Laura should be but she's not and I and I feel like there it happens throughout the show with the 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 idea of lights and the idea of light and dark it's a, it's a constant theme throughout the show and how the two how the two kind of come together uh, or how they sometimes don't and um at first glances, Laura is essentially a, the light of this town. Everyone fucking loves her in one way or another. They either really adore her, or in some cases, as you'll find out later, some people actually do are in love with Laura. And I, I feel like it's, it's, it might be a little heavy-handed, but I feel like the, the lights are just supposed to be the idea that the light of this town is going out. Because mm. everything that sinister and evil in this town comes out once Laura dies. It's all been hidden a, up until that point. Could also show a, a duality of, of her nature. Again, I you know not knowing it, it's a total shot in the dark. But if it's flashing on and off, it could be showing that you know she is both the light and the dark of the town. No yeah. comment. Yeah. All right. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Eventually, after you finish Twin Peaks, we'll have to do another episode where, revisit. We, where we can just talk about yeah. fucking everything. And Firewalk uh, with me. And yes. fucking fi- I, I might even need to rewatch Firewalk yeah. with me just because I was, after I watched it, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the only other big notes I have from the pilot is uh, we had talked about the archi- archetypal characters, the, the stereotypes that were used to, to kind of create the, the foundation of the town's inhabitants. But then you also have ones that don't fit into any archetype whatsoever. Uh, for for instance, the uh, one-eyed woman who's obsessed with drapes. Like, that is... You, you could not even begin <laughs> to tie that to an archetype. Norma, uh, yeah. So, so <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> she is so... Uh, she's a weird, weirdo little character. Oh yeah. 
One of the things that I do remember from one of the later episodes that I saw was that when her husband accidentally invented the perfect silent uh, <laughs> the drape runners drapes, yes. <laughs> that and how how her personality you could tell you know it's one thing to say that she's obsessed with these drapes and everything but but how happy she was when she solved that problem really showed that the drapes were the entirety of her life and it wasn't just something that she was channeling all of her anger into. Yeah, like she she <laughs> cared more about those drapes than you do her husband. It's and, so sad. And it, it gets you to the point where you understand why Big Ed is not that interested in her anymore. And uh, He's just not that into you. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's just... She's just kind of fragile. But to be fair, Big Ed does, yeah, he's, they, they both seem a little checked out. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's an open relationship. He sees another woman, she sees the drapes. <laughs> <laughs> they make it work. Well, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> Big Ed needs to keep his thing silent. Uh, that's why she's trying to get the drape runners to be silent, because, it, you know, it's, it can't be a secret fling if it's Ooh. making noise. Ooh. Ooh. More depth. Ooh, yes. I love it. So I know you're concerned about spoilerage, so I don't know yes. if there's anything else you want to get into. I um, I, I want to talk a little bit about um, um, the the mixture of tragedy and comedy in, okay. in this show and how it it can walk the line very, very, very effectively because, like, uh, for example, in the in the pilot episode, we meet Leland Palmer, uh, oh my gosh. Laura's father. He's so much fun. And yet, throughout the show, he's such a great character because, like, <clears throat> he he walks that line so perfectly. You know, um, he finds out the about the death of his daughter, and he just fucking loses it, and it becomes uh, it becomes a thing throughout the episodes where he doesn't know how to process his grief. Um, where, uh, and he, his, the way he portrays it, it's legitimately heartbreaking, but then you'll, he'll make you laugh because like the thing he misses most about his daughter is like dancing with her. So he'll walk into a party and just start crying and dancing to himself and walking up to people and just trying I to, did like, see uh, that just trying to get them to dance with her. And it's, it's, it's you, so sad. You don't know if you should be laughing. You don't know if you should be crying. Cause it's, it, it's a, it's a weird mixture of the two. And that's what the show does very well. It's, uh, it, it can make you feel so many different things and mixes feelings together that shouldn't be. And some of the weirdest things are like strangely like relatable and normal. Yeah. <laughs> like, like it doesn't seem example? that far fetched that he would be dealing with his emotions that way. Cause like not dealing with the emotions, it just looks funny. But then, you know, if you just lost someone, you might do things ridiculous that other people look might think is funny. Yeah. Uh, or, or at the very least, want to do things like yeah. that and feel unable to, so that you don't end up looking ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you gotta bury those feelings deep down inside. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or like um, a character that I really hated through the, and I continue to hate through the entire span of the show, <laughs> is uh, the character of Leo Johnson, the uh, abusive husband truck oh, driver. Uh. But then his acting is so stiff and weird that, like, it's hard to take him seriously. It's like, when I come home, Shelly, I expect food to be on the table, Shelly. And it's like... And you are to smoke one brand of cigarettes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then more like, uh, 
you know, another stri- goofy character because like he's all over the fucking place is Bobby Briggs, uh, Laura's boyfriend. Because it's like he just seems like I feel like the way he's performing it is uh, is like he thinks he's the coolest dude in the world, but he just seems like he's on drugs always. <laughs> there was that strange barking sequence at the end of the, yeah. towards the when end he, of the first episode when they're barking at James and he's just the like caged to dogs. Yeah, and he just has his puppy dog face and just staring at them intently. It's like there's and like there's almost this weird homoeroticism between them because of it. And there's like there's there's a strange sexuality amongst every character on the show, male or female. You just it's just like there's there's this there's tension. It's, you can feel it. <laughs> Like it's you so can't thick. these two dudes just staring at each other intently, one barking at the other while they're locked <laughs> up behind tri- uh jail cell. That's someone's fantasy right there. <laughs> no, it isn't mine. <laughs> you should probably tell your wife about that. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> <laughs> um, so no, that's 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 one of the things that I love so much about this show and going back to Dale Cooper that he does so well too is while he is the levity in a lot of scenes, the, later on the show he 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 can become a serious character. And if anything is his his demeanor never changes. He's able to be both funny and serious in the same tone. Uh, one of the later bits that I remember is uh, when one of his colleagues comes in, I believe, to actually do the autopsy on her. Yes, I, um, and he- Albert. He doesn't want to put up with any of the shit of this small town. He wants to do this, get it done, get it done right, and get it done quick. And uh, Cooper gets firm with him. And it's the first time you see him break that super, you know, happy, silly uh, veneer. And so he and he switches it on and off like a switch. He goes serious and here's how this is going to play out, and then switches back, and that smile gets back on his face. And, yeah. Okay, how about that pie and coffee? And, <laughs> and the, Douglas and the, fur, right? You, you start to, like, question, like, if Cooper actually knows what the fuck he's doing. Because, like, it was in one of the earlier episodes where he has, like, this, this d- d- deduction method based on, like, throwing rocks. Do you remember that? Yes. And like yes. he ends up clocking Andy with a rock, I believe. <laughs> or Andy ends up hitting someone with a rock. And it's like, how is this going to help? Or like at one point, he has like the whiteboard and he flips it over. He's like, what do you know about Tibet? Where do you want these rocks? Put them right down there by the donuts, deputy. Anyone for a warm-up? Mm. Oh, yeah. Yes. You bet. You bet. Right Thanks, Missy. Damn good coffee. And hot. By way of explaining what we're about to do, I am first going to tell you a little bit about the country called Tibet. An extremely spiritual country. For centuries, the leader of Tibet has been known as the Dalai Lama. In 1950, communist China invaded Tibet. And while leaving the Dalai Lama nominally in charge, they in fact seized control of the entire country. In 1959, after a Tibetan uprising against the Chinese, the Dalai Lama was forced to flee to India for his life and has lived in exile ever since. Following a dream I had three years ago, I have become deeply moved by the plight of the Tibetan people and filled with a desire to help them. I also awoke from the same dream, realizing that I had subconsciously gained knowledge of a deductive technique involving mind-body coordination operating hand-in-hand with the deepest level of intuition. Sheriff, Deputy Hawk, 
If you will please assist me, I will now demonstrate. And they all go with him based on this dream that no he had. No one questions his insanity. No it's one questions weird. these weird, insane dreams he's having. And like, and they just go with his, like, well, he must have a, he had a dream. This must be right. fucking legit. That's certainly illustrated in, you know, Andy, the, the photographer who can't keep it together on a shoot. Like, big FBI agent comes in from the big city. Who are we to question it? Yeah. You know, if he has a dream based on something, well, then that dream might be that that dream's probably accurate. <laughs> right? Yeah, sounds good to me. That's how we do all of our police work. <laughs> and then it's probably like I just kind of got this feeling that like Truman, not saying he didn't care about this case at all, he probably just didn't think this was anything to, that you'd be able to solve this because I think he even said this is the first time they've ever had to deal with a murder in Twin Peaks. So he's probably like, well, this is never going to get solved anyways. Might as well just go along with it. Um, because, like I said, I feel like Truman cared. He just didn't know, like, what to do about it. Right. <laughs> think about it. Like, you have this cushy sheriff job, and all the cops, they've got this cushy job where, you know, if anything, they have to do, they have to put up, some, put out some speeding tickets, throw someone in a drunk tank. Couple drunks, yeah. They, they haven't probably had to deal with anything like this. Wild kids and their shenanigans. <laughs> and then that fucking bar that lets everyone drink no matter what. Oh, my God. That was so weird. <laughs> Every time the high schoolers go in, it's like, wait, how old are you? <laughs> yeah, and then the I, the the uh, musical performer in that night of the pilot who was singing like the background music, like yep. it was such a you know, I I I'd like to see the scene of the bar like auditioning that singer to play. Like, yep, that's the sound we're looking for. <laughs> yeah, especially because it's it's especially weird because like everyone hanging out in the bar, it's like you have James Hurley's like motorcycle gang, which is the only time you've ever seen them, and just a bunch of dudes dressed like they're going to a Ju Judas Priest concert, just <laughs> hanging around listening to like this dreamy pop singer. It's like and they're all just like super into it. And it's like what Slow the fuck dancing is, and shit. What the fuck is going on in Twin Peaks? <laughs> Some shows will like They'll start off relatively normal and, like, pepper in some weirdness and then just get super batshit later on. Like, Hannibal. Hannibal did that. Like, they had some weirdness beginning on, uh, in the beginning, but then just kind of, like, introduced it slowly. Twin Peaks is like, no, here's everything that's, that's weird about us, uh, and you're either with us or you're against us. <laughs> and I'm looking at right now at the, the ratings, uh, the amount of viewers, and for the first three episodes, it steadily went down. Pilot had, had 34 million viewers, episode 1 had 23, episode 2 had 19 million, and then episode 4 had 16 million. It's like, that's a steady droppage of people. And then it slowly kind of peppered up a little bit, but it never was as much as the pilot. Yeah. This is how huh. weird we're going to be, and just deal with Buckle it. Buckle up. <laughs> Strap yourself in and feel the G's. That's the max power way. Ooh. <laughs> All right, there's a couple things that I'd like to uh, reflect on for the last episode that I wasn't here for. All right. Wait, you're going um, to comment on my solo episode? I am. It's oh, all God. good things. It's, oh, it, I don't what believe it you. Is, first, I'd like to say, and this was something that I, I kind of mentioned before we started recording today, is um, I really I, I listened to both of the solo episodes, and this second one especially... By the time it ended, there was this very strong feeling of, like, I missed out not being there. And it made me... Re I've always known that I've enjoyed doing this podcast. I like hanging out with you guys. I like just... I like creating anything and, you know, pontificating for my tuchus. So, um, 
Like, that's fun. Okay. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> what? What? Talking out of my ass. Oh, got it. Pontificating. Got it. That is actually a Boy Meets World quote. Pontificating for my tuckus. Did Feeney say that? No, um, one of Harley's lackeys. This not Ethan. Uh, oh, it's 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 we it's the Weasley one. The, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh my God. If you weren't busy pontificating from your tuckus. <laughs> oh my God! I can hear him saying it too. Oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> that right. that line stuck with me. I can't imagine why. Um, but I felt like I missed out, and so I was doing a lot of thinking on it. And one thing that I wanted to reflect on was that. You know, when, when we do our normal episodes, we're, we're having a conversation with each other. Yeah. And the audience members get to be like creepy voyeurs, you know, listening in on our conversation. But I really liked how your solo episodes was a conversation between you and the audience directly. Yeah. And, like, it, it brought me in as an audience member in a way that I don't listening to podcasts where they're, you know, interviewing each other, having a conversation between the two of them. So I thought that was nice. Oh, good. Um, the other things that I wanted to mention was kind of my take, quick take on reboots and remakes, which for the most part share, uh, like, I feel very similarly to you. Like, you can't go in with these inflated expectations. You didn't go into the original with that sense of entitlement of what that needs to be, so don't go into this with it either. Yeah. Um, uh, just a note for you, Farkle evolves dramatically after season one does he <laughs> he a total 180 he okay like, he is well, set up. a lot of the episodes are on Net- on netflix so i've been meaning to go back and watch them farkle from a uh, girl meets world oh it, the entirety all three seasons are now up uh so you can the the final episode is now up um and yeah farkle after season one is not that like oh, i'm the Dorky weirdo, the you know comedy who, relief man who uses his own name as a as a verb. Yeah, right. However, but, I have to say, him being the son of Minkus made me laugh. Right. Farkle Minkus. <laughs> and you can tell they they set it up as like, yep, here's the the format that we had started before, but then they use it as a jumping off point to kind of weave in and out of what they had done before and creating something new. Um, okay. Well, I'm sorry for all the Farkle fans, <laughs> Farkle Nation out there. Right. Uh, I take back my statements. Uh, and the <laughs> other one that I'd like to throw into the mix that uh, the the new Ghostbusters film was one of the few films that I actually saw this year. Got a lot of hate from that group that you're ruining my childhood and oh, uh, oh, yeah, so much, so much yeah. ruined childhood. <laughs> Like, no, your, your child is, is perfectly intact. I'd also like to say that this is not the first time that Ghostbusters has been spun off of. There were at least two cartoon series. I like the new adven- lines. Uh, the new Ghostbusters, the one where they had like, the, the, the female Ghostbusters had that cool pre- pack on her back. That was my favorite. The, the Extreme Ghostbusters? Yeah, that was with, it. Uh, extreme Ghostbusters. I'd probably come up with the her name in a little bit, but um, yeah. And I thought the new one, I, I took my daughter to it, uh, and it was really cool to have her geek out about Ghostbusters with me, and she had to go as a Ghostbuster for Halloween. And, you know, I could get on the dad, it's great that my daughter has a Ghostbuster role model 
thing, but it wasn't just that. Like, even without my daughter, I was excited about the Ghostbusters film. I had a lot of fun. I did, too. I liked it. It it paid the right amount of homage to the originals without it being unnecessarily tied down by it. It did its own thing. It did it really well. Um, Like, it, they, you know, you could get into the whole, like, the new Star Wars film, not Rogue One, the, the episode seven. Um, where it's like, oh, now they have to blow up the Death Star for the third time. Like, Ghostbusters didn't do that. Like, they paid homage to it, but it was a new, unique storyline to add to the franchise. And I had a great time. thought it was a great film and is, for me, just as equal a part of the Ghostbusters franchise. And I, I, I agree. And, like, there's so many people who hated it. And, like, maybe I'm I'm not the person right person to speak on this because I didn't grow up with Ghostbusters. Well, it wasn't, like, I've seen, I saw the movie as a kid, but I don't think it's, like, a masterpiece of American cinema like all these people online do. It's, <laughs> it was a goofy movie that was on as a kid. Like, I, I just, it, it doesn't hold as big of a place in, in my heart as it does for some people. So I went in, like, I want to love Ghostbusters as much as everyone else, and I like that this had a fresh take on it, like... I'm all like I thought all the I thought all the Ghostbusters were extremely funny, and you know, and and the fact that all the uh, the originals came back and did something, and the fact that you can get Bill Murray to be in it when he really didn't want to be <laughs> was saying something. Right. Uh, so at the end of the day, it's I I think, and this is just re regurgitating what you said very well is. I don't think I said it very well, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Check your expectations at the door, and you don't have to go see it. You know, you don't own it. It is not your exclusive rights. You still have that memory. You still have that experience with the original. I had no, I really enjoyed Transformers as a kid. had no interest in going to see the movies. Doesn't mean I got online and said, how dare they ruin my blah, 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 blah. It, I just, that one didn't interest me, so I stayed home. Ghostbusters yeah. interested me. I went and saw it. Or like, I don't own it. When Michael Bay remade uh, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, there's a lot of people who are like, fuck you, Michael Bay. <laughs> what did you do to Turtles? It's like, the, the, the Turtles you love are still there. And right. trust me, you go back and watch that cartoon, it's not very good. <laughs> no. It's, it's like He-Man. He-Man is terrible. I loved it as a kid. I was so... Does, the original He-Man ruined my childhood with He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, you know, just... I don't know. I, I, I just want things to do well. And like I, was, like I said in the episode, if you, have the, if you have the choice to make something really cool and original, you run the risk of knowing going to see it. Yeah. But, on the other hand, you make up Ghostbusters, you make a shit ton of money, you can make a bunch of those little things. Right. And not have to worry. But anyway, Amanda, do you have anything to uh, touch on with rebate, re- rebates? Te- <laughs> rebates? When you, when you buy a television, you can get $100 back? A <laughs> little bit of a departure from the conversation, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. <laughs> reboots, remakes, uh, ad- adaptations from books. Do you have anything to say about that? I know it's a topic that you, we've talked a little bit about. Um, Just that, like, as someone who reads a lot, or at least used to, and watches a lot of movies, especially now, like, it's just nice to see another person's take on something because everyone interprets and internalizes something differently and it's fun to see a different artist what they got out of it yeah i got this is a story i'm not proud of but i got dragged (laughs) to the first twilight movie 
uh, by some friends. I didn't have to pay for my ticket though, so it's like you know what, fine, what I'll go. Um, and it was really amusing being in a theater full of teenage girls who were like scoffing at the screen anytime something was out of order or out of place. That's not where they kissed for the first time. <laughs> and I was like, this is watching them be enraged was more amusing than the movie. <laughs> I, I will say Twilight, not the worst movie I've ever seen. Like, I sat through that and like didn't hate myself afterwards. I only saw the first one, but no, I've, if, I will say, if Twilight's the worst movie you ever, you've ever seen, you haven't seen many movies. Right, It yeah. can be the worst storyline. It can be the worst storyline, like, but it's not the worst made movie I've ever no, seen. No, but it's a pretty movie, bad storyline. The movie's competently made. It's just a dumb story. And anywhere but here, and what was the... Uh, the video, zombie video game. Oh, House, House of, the of the Dead. House of the House Dead. Of- yes, House of the Dead was actually a really good movie. I was gonna say House of like the Dead. One. I know. Yes, that movie Terrible. is terrible. <laughs> and yeah. I don't say that. I look for the good in in every piece of art. That was a steaming pile of garbage. <laughs> there was a movie. Um, I think it was called Goblins. Uh, that I was watching off Hulu one night, and I thought it'd make it better because like it was one of the Elvira Presents movies, so she's making okay. comments throughout it. Um, it was like you know kind of a Critters Gremlins ripoff. Oh, Hobgoblins! Right. Hobgoblins is Ooh. what it was called. Uh, I was so bored I had to turn it off, and I can't make it. <laughs> there's not many movies I've turned off. What was that one movie we stopped that we bought from Walmart? Wait until dark. Looked- was that it? Wait until dark. The yeah. poster looked so cool, but the halfway through the movie, we're like, "Yeah, we just this is can't. dumb." Like it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a, an '80s slasher homage film, where it's trying too hard, where everything is goofy because they've never, see, you know, they they mis they misinterpret misinterpret someone being like they misinterpret camp and think, right. "Oh, all yeah. slasher films are campy, so let's make this goofy and weird." <laughs> I remember um, we lost interest when they lost the reel and skipped like a oh good my half God. hour of the story. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> a missing reel popped up and they lost part of the film. And that enraged me so much because that was more indicative of the 60s and 70s. And this is supposed <laughs> to be the 80s VHS generation. It's like, I got so pissed off that I had to turn it off. Um, <laughs> know your references. <laughs> so like I can count on, it, it, it was uh, Wait Until Dark, Hobgoblins, and that John Cusack, Edgar Allan Poe movie are the only ones I've really turned off from. And actually, I walked out of the theater on that one. I've never wow. walked out of a theater before that. <laughs> I don't think I have yet. I, I Granted, it was, at the bu- a... it was at the budget, so oh. it didn't cost me much. <laughs> the, the lesson there is in my seat. <laughs> make sure you respect and your, your graphic designers <laughs> because they will sell your movie yes if, you're, if your cover is good enough oh that's is the only reason we bought that movie because <laughs> man like, was like look at this cover and i was like oh that's pretty dope with and... a cover that good the movie's gotta be decent <laughs> no 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 not at all um so yeah and uh, my last thing i'm gonna say about like um I've said everything I need to say about reboots, remakes, uh, uh, but I, what I'll say about adaptations. I said this in one of our Phantom Tollbooth episodes. I don't remember if it was the one that we, that we that's live or the one that we lost. But I remember reading a quote one time from a, a screenwriter who's done adaptations, and he said, "My job, as when I'm at when I'm adapting someone something, is to not rewrite the book verbatim. It's to recreate the emotions that that book made you feel while you were reading it." So I don't care if all the details aren't right. Like, 
I'm sure there's Harry Potter fans out there who are pissed off that they forgot some weird little details, but I feel like for the most part, the movies reflect the tone and the and feeling of the to books. To be fair, those are those books get pretty damn thick. If they were going to yep. get it word for word, right. you'd never, <laughs> never live to It'd see be, the end. It would be three movies, three movies per book. <laughs> and I Hobbit think style. you could, uh, you know, take that that sentiment and apply it to remakes and reboots too, like that understand that that is the filmmaker trying to recreate the, the, their experience with that IP, you know? Yeah. What uh, I always say, no matter how bad the movie is, no, no one, no, you know, cause Hollywood producers and Hollywood in general always seems to be the enemy. If you go online, no one's trying to make a bad movie. Right. No one has ever been like, I'm going to make a terrible movie. You mean no one wants to waste millions no. and billions of dollars? The thing is, it's like, going to suck so bad and we're all going to be so happy about this it. Is, <laughs> this is not the producers. You don't make more money, money with a flop. <laughs> um, the, the, no one's trying to make a bad movie because no one wants to waste the te- that much money. And the reason why movies can be convoluted and bogged down is because there's so many people who have their hands in the kitchen because they all want to make a good movie because they're spending so much money on it that they all have to put their thoughts in. And then it becomes like that weird stew that your grandmother makes where she decides to add everything that's in the fridge. Depression stew? What? Depression, Depression stew. Depression stew. my called it. <laughs> or a casserole. If you, like... <laughs> That's what happens when when you, when your movie becomes a casserole. It's not because you wanted to make a bad dish. It just like you you lost control and you just. It's like my my dad one time made tater like made tater tot casserole and he's like you know what let's instead of cream of mushroom soup let me use tomato soup. Ew. No, dad, you don't <laughs> add tomato soup to tater tot casserole, and that is why that's how he wasn't a producer. Was made. Yes, he he decided to add tomato soup when he should have stuck with the recipe. <laughs> Well, that's cooking with Michael and Nick and Amanda. <laughs> with Michael and Nick. Well, Amanda, you're more of the chef than I am. You went to culinary school. I know, but I wouldn't put tomatoes soup in. <laughs> Neither would I. My would you, though? A... No. Would you, though? No. Like, if I told you to cook something and didn't give you a recipe, would you be able to figure it out? I Better than he did, yes. I'm going to put that to a test. Please don't. <laughs> That's what every parent wants, is that their children can cook a little bit better than, than they did. <laughs> well, my dad had a mean skull and some fried chicken. That's all I can say. Nice. But he hated making it, so he never really did. Fried chicken is a pain in the ass to make. Yes, it is. I did it once. <laughs> my mom told me the first time she made fried chicken for my dad, and my dad's a southerner, so I should throw this out there now. She served him, uh, she served him raw chicken. Oh yeah. Oh, it's said she re- she refused to make it for the longest time after that. She also doesn't keep a thermometer. No, I'm I don't know buy how she her does a it. Thermometer. Do it. Just buy her a thermometer, put a bow on it, and say it's it's a just because gift. <laughs> it's a so you don't poison me with some kind of foodborne <laughs> illness present. She's a good cook though. She is a good cook. We give her shit, and she's never going to listen to this anyways. <laughs> and then All you right. get a call next week. <laughs> she gets a call as soon as we stop recording. She somehow got it ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, back to Twin Peaks. Is there anything you guys to want Twin to talk? Peeps. Amanda, is there anything you want to say about Twin Peaks? No, that's pretty Nick? much it. Peaks, twins. I, I, I hope that this, the weirdness in this episode, did the show justice. I think it did. Yeah. Good. Uh, so, do we want to talk about uh, what we're doing next week, or are we just going to stop mentioning this fucking <laughs> episode? No. Up. I, I think we should very explicitly say what the next episode is going to be so that they have something to be disappointed by 
every episode. Well, you're mean. <laughs> I'm okay so, with this. Next episode, we're going to do uh, Every Which Way But Loose. I love Every Which Way But Loose. <laughs> What is that? It's a Clint Eastwood movie where he has where uh, he's a bare knuckle brawler and a in uh, a trucker and his best friend's an orangutan. Oh, that sounds awesome. It is which one's the which one's the first one? Is it every which way but loose? Every which way you can. There's uh, two of them. I I must say, this I will now have to add to my shame list because uh, I have not yeah! seen it. Good screaming, everybody. I love that movie. It's like. It's an orangutan in Clint Eastwood. And actually, I love the movie so much, I st- uh, I stole his character name and put it into one of my own scripts. Nice. Philo. Oh. <laughs> Making a note, every which way will lose. And, um, and every which way you can. I don't okay. remember which one's the first one. We'll call it the every which compendium. Every which way. Every which uh, way duology. Du- duology? So, uh, once I realized that I could not watch Buffy the Vampire Slayer today, I ordered it on Blu-ray. So, so long as it arrives in a timely manner, the next episode should be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I, feel I like hope it's not now, just because. I, eventually it's just going to become a running theme that we're always going to hype for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And you never, never do it. it. Our it, final episode will be Buffy the Vampire Slayer. You can't do it now. You just can't. It, it will be the, the who killed Laura, but we have to actually stick to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're coming for you, David Lynch <laughs> and Mark Frost. <laughs> All right. Well, a, a successful evening as always. I hope that the viewers at home, listeners at home, got Some something viewers. out of it. We don't have viewers uh, yet. We haven't been able to work that out yet. That's right. And I think at this point, it's mostly just our schedules because it's something now that I have to shoot during the day yeah, rather and than I'm, recording at night. And whenever I work, I'm always until 2 p.m. However, however, Thursday, I am off of work. Every Thursday? Just this this Thursday. Oh, this I don't Thursday. have a set schedule, but uh, I keep saying if, if we can figure out a day we'd want to do this, I can make sure I have a Let's try to get a set schedule, best I can. But okay. this Thursday I'm off of work. We could we could try to do some video magic. Well, maybe maybe you'll all be in for a treat. We'll see. Maybe not. We've only we've if lied you, to you before. Only <laughs> if you live in Maryland, though. Right. No, uh, we'll get it up on the the YouTubes and the, oh the YouTubes. Yeah, these kids with their hula hoops and their Pac-Man <laughs> video games. YouTubes. What tubes? <laughs> My tubes. It's actually one of my favorite George Carlin skits where he's talking about the world's going down the tubes. What tubes? Why are there so many tubes? One world, one tube. <laughs> uh, he was, now, that was a man that loved words and, yes, and language. Yes, All he right. did. Uh, well, on that note, I don't really have much else to say about Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's just talk about what we did this week. No, we'll wrap it up. All right. We won't, we won't make you suffer anymore. Um, we love you all. We're really excited that there are people listening, and uh, uh, our numbers are slowly rising. It's kind of great. We'll keep spewing it out there if you keep soaking it in. (laughs) I don't Uh, know why that that sounded gross. Lovely note. (laughs) Spew and soak, I think, was the (laughs) 
Moist. <laughs> Ew. Oh, moist. <laughs> Nobody likes that word. Uh, it does, doesn't bother me nearly as much as it bothers most people. It doesn't really bother me, but like, because I know it bothers people, I always think of like moist cake, and I was like, for some reason that bothers me more than the word moist, <laughs> thinking about moist cake. But would you rather have dry ass cake? No. <laughs> All right, then. Like those biscuits we had the other night? <laughs> dry yeah. ass cake is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to have an ass cake, you want to be moist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This episode brought to you by Moist Ass Cake. It's the uh, Moist Cake set of Moistest. Now in chocolate. <laughs> we will see you all shortly, hopefully with Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but most likely something totally random that you've never heard of before. Yep. Bye. Bye. Bye.